Welcome again, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Tech Move. We want to welcome each and every one of you to our episode number four here. I am Rod Louie, and with me is Keith Moreau. Keith, how's it going today? Going great. Thanks, Rod. Excellent, excellent. Well, we want to remind all of you that Tech Move is the podcast that is all about digital filmmaking, gear, Mac computers, and iOS devices from a unique perspective. Again, thank you folks for joining us. Thank you for following us on Facebook. Thank you for getting to us via our website, which is techmovepodcast.com and all the other great outlets like iTunes, where you can, of course, subscribe to the podcast. Thank you again, everyone, and all your great comments. Today in episode four, ladies and gentlemen, we have some very exciting subjects to cover. One of them that is an ongoing thing, but it's really a lot of fun, is the big question, will Keith's next Mac be a PC? Well, we have our latest installment. You'll hear that today. We also have a fantastic segment about this new fandangled thing that Keith has. is called a Frankenstein handheld. At least that's what we call it. That's not the technical name, but we want to call it the Frankenstein handheld. You're going to hear about that. You got that. You got Keith and myself. You got a whole bunch of other information that's coming your way. And you got all that on today's episode of Tech Move. Hey, you know what, Keith? Now that we've got a couple of episodes under our belt right now, we are lucky enough to actually include this brand new segment that we have, which I want to call the sound off segment. It's our email segment from all our fine listeners. What do you think of that? I think it's great. And actually, um, have several emails. Um, we have one in particular that's kind of pointing out a mistake I made. In, in one of the... <laughs> well, th- what a way to kick off the segment. <laughs> that, that's but, awesome. Yeah. So I, I'm really glad that this listener is listening and, and being so attentive and is so knowledgeable uh, and is so knowledgeable about um, uh, geeky stuff that we talk about. <laughs> right. And so I wanted to read the letter and then respond to it. Go ahead. Okay. So the, here, here's the email. Dear Tech Move Podcast, I love your podcast, but I'd like to point out an error that Keith made. Codec stands for encoder decoder, not compressor decompressor. Thought you'd like to know. An avid Tech Move listener, Bob. Now, Keith, let me interrupt here. Uh, wasn't that part of our coma segment? That was part of the coma segment. How could anyone have survived and actually caught that little piece of information? That is beyond me, frankly. Bob must have amazing powers of concentration. Bob, you are amazing. We want to thank you very much. Keith, uh, you will be chastised once we get off the phone. But uh, that, 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 that is great. Uh, Keith, uh, anything you wanted to... You, well, you want to respond to that, right? I do want to respond. Go I ahead. Respond. Bob, you're right. I actually... <laughs> <laughs> you know what, Bob? I, you're right. You're right, Bob. I actually, I actually knew that, and I'm not sure why I said compressor decompressor. I said a lot of things that were a little off in that particular segment. That's why it's called the coma segment. <laughs> That's the sometimes, reason why. Sometimes I even put myself in a coma. But I don't uh, even remember with the segment at all. <laughs> but go on. 
but you're right. Um, the history of that is encoder, decoder, and somebody in the past um, invented this this shortening of encoder, decoder, and shortened it to codec, and that's kind of a kitschy name. It definitely does not stand for compressor, decompressor, although it could probably stand for compressor, decompressor in actual functionality. I think that's where I got a little bit mixed up. But I uh, appreciate your writing in. Anybody else, if you notice any mistakes that I make, and I, I'm sure there's some others, please don't hesitate to email in and we'll promptly delete your emails. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, let's remind our good folks what our email address is. It is, uh, what is it again? It's, I think it's at info at techmovepodcast.com. Am I right about that? Yep. Info at techmovepodcast.com. Right. So go ahead, send us in your uh, your listening viewer letters. Uh, give us some comments, any feedback that you want. Of course, only good things. We don't want to hear bad things. So, uh, but uh, we'll, we'll take those and uh, and maybe give them uh, two seconds of uh, of attention. Uh, anyway, okay, great, fantastic, Bob. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast, Keith. Thank you so much for uh, for the mistake that caused the letter. Uh, and we will be right back with more tech move. an update on the contest that we were having for the newer technology new guard grip stand 2 and grip base remember that was the ipad 2 a uh, really nice stand from newer technology uh sponsored by our great friends over at otherworld computing well guess what gang we still don't have a winner and uh keith how come there's no winner well basically because uh Nobody's jumped through all the hoops to uh, to win the prize. You know, and that's what I was thinking. Like, uh, we haven't received any newborn children in the mail yet, <laughs> of which our listeners were supposed to send to us. Is that um, too much to ask? I, I didn't think so personally, uh, but uh, I don't know. Why don't you go over the actual contest rules and, you know, maybe we can share that with the good listeners at home. Right. This is actually on our webpage. So you can go to the contest entry rules. And there's, and there's a pretty detailed list of what you need to do. So basically, actually, I need to go to the rules and read them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let me just go over the rules again. And, and this is actually on our page. Uh, just go to our website, techmovepodcast.com and click on the Tech Move contests and giveaways link near the top of the page, and you'll you'll see this as well. But basically, here's what you need to do: you need to go to our Facebook page, and then you need to find the post that mentions this contest, and then you need to like both our Tech Move Facebook page and the Facebook post that mentions this contest. So you have to like both things on our Facebook page. Right. You have to like us, Tech Move Podcast. Okay. And you also have to like that post that has this particular item in it, the uh, iPad grip stand. And then you need to also add a comment along with a picture in that particular post of you listening to Tech Move. And it doesn't have to be, you don't have to show your face if you're shy. It could be from the back or the side or just 
you holding the iPhone or whatever. Put a styrofoamed wigged head. You could you could mm-hmm. use an impersonator or a, a dummy if you want. Right. That's up to you if, if you're that shy. We have no way of verifying that, actually. We don't. We're not going to no. be sending people out and, right. and, and trailing you and stalking you. Right. At least not for the at least not for the first episode, right? Yeah, at least not for this particular context. Correct. <laughs> good. But, Very good. And then you just need to go over the to the other world computing Facebook page and and like their particular post, and like their page. So there are now four likes that one has to that one has to do. Here's the thing about adding a comment along with your picture on that particular post is it just makes our Facebook page more interesting. We want to see we want to see our listeners out there. We want to add a little back and forth between ourselves and the listeners and I agree. And for all the listeners to maybe get to know each other a little bit more, just to create a little bit of buzz. And that's the reason. We want to build a community here, gang, a community. Yes, the Tech Move community. Right. So, so we're going to be extending the contest until somebody actually does this correctly. Does this correctly. Mm-hmm. Uh at some point we may give up and just relax the standards, but I'm hoping that somebody will actually be listening to this and do the right thing. And Folks, if you do, you're going to get this pretty pretty neat product. It is a very nice product. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, again, the contest rules, and we are pleading with you to read and to look at our uh, webpage at techmovepodcast.com. For the contest rules, click that link. You will read it all there in black and white. Follow those instructions of which Keith has just so eloquently uh, described to us. And you may very well be the lucky recipient of the newer technologies, new guard grip stand two and grip base bundle that you see on our webpage there. Fantastic. Okay, so gang, we'll be right back right after this. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Well, a couple of weeks ago, Keith and I were talking a little bit about how he was going to think about moving from a Mac to a PC for video editing. And now that a couple of weeks have passed, uh, I think... Keith has actually gotten his PC. Is that correct? Yeah, I actually got it a few days ago. And, oh uh, wow, <laughs> that's fantastic! How, how is it? It was great. Well, the the UPS guy didn't want to bring it down the stairs. The box was gigantic, so I offered to help him, and he just said, "No, well, let's just slide it down the stairs." So <laughs> I wasn't too uh, happy about that, but we we got it down. And then getting it down into my house and into the room, I, I actually, it's so, it was so big, I couldn't put it into my main editing room. I had to put it into a different room <laughs> to just open the box well, up. Well, how, how big is this PC? I mean, what did you buy, a mainframe or something? It's just, you know, it's one of these gaming PCs. I actually got it on Amazon. It was a good deal, and I looked at the specs, and it looked really, really high-end. And I figured, you know, I could try it out, and Amazon has a really good return policy, so I could return it if it just didn't work out. I mean, I don't know. What I've heard is that the gaming PCs have really big boxes because there needs to be a lot of airflow inside, and they have a lot of stuff in them. You know, there's lots of room for hard drives and uh, cards, and and, uh, there's a lot of fans. Um, So this thing is, I mean, it's literally like, three feet long and 10 inches wide <laughs> and about two to three feet high. It's gigantic. <laughs> I mean, It's of course a, a pre-made thing. Would you like to tell us like who made it? Is it like Alienware? Is it Dell? 
Uh, no, it's not either of those. I, I did look at the Dells and I looked at several other custom PC makers. Uh, I just decided to get this one just to kind of try it out and then maybe it would work out. Uh, I didn't want to make a huge investment in it. It was not cheap, but it wasn't super expensive. It was a lot cheaper than if I got a new Mac Pro. But it's using this i7 six-core processor, which can be multi-threaded to 12 cores. That's pretty much the highest end of the non-multi-CPU PCs you can get. And it's it's got these louvers on top. It's got this... this. <laughs> is, it, is it water-cooled? It's water-cooled. Is it really? It is. And <laughs> That's awesome. It's something like you might see, like if you were in Star Trek, it's like the alien that gets on the ship and tries to take it over. <laughs> Does it have neon lights in, in a see-through case? It has neon lights. It does? <laughs> it's not see-through, but the lights, there's enough holes and grills on it that you can nice. see the lights through the case. It's got fans all over, and all the fans have lights in them. Me and my friends used to love cases like that. <laughs> because, <laughs> because, I mean, th those were the greatest things. I mean, like, you could put, I mean, like, you could literally strap, like, four or five raw internal drives in that thing with plenty of room for air circulation and everything in that thing. It's gigantic. <laughs> Actually, I had some stuffing inside. I'd pull it out and then I, and there were some, some wires leading to these fans that I didn't know where they plugged into. I mean, there's no, there's very little instructions. There's a couple of books like on the motherboard, <laughs> you know, right, a right. book about the exactly. motherboard. There's a book about the video card. But I got it working amazingly. It actually has Windows. It's like the high-end home version installed, which was fine. It's got to be Windows 7, correct? Windows 7, yeah. I think I told you it's got louvers on top. <laughs> there, there's, a, there's a lever, and you pull this lever, and the louvers open. <laughs> it's like Venetian blinds. In my, on my... Be, 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 because uh, little do you know, it also fries eggs if you really need to. Well, that's the thing is that I think that's why it has the temperature gauge on the front. It's got this like a dashboard that's yeah. all that's all lit mm -hmm. up and it's big. And it's got the status of all the different fans with these dials that move up and down. Can you adjust fan speed? I think you can. It's got little pluses and minuses for the fan speed. That that's exactly what you can do then. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. And it tells you what the RPM is of the different fans. And it's got temperature control for the CPU and the GPU and right. different things in it. And of course it reads in Celsius and it's, not Fahrenheit. That's right, Celsius. Right. Hundred's still pretty low, right? <laughs> so. uh, well, <laughs> yeah, if you're trying to prevent yourself from having third degree burns. <laughs> so anyway, so I did manage to load a trial version of Premiere Pro on it. That's the only reason I got this thing. I mean, every, right. in every other way, my, my five-year-old Mac Pro is still excellent. This podcast, I'm recording it on it, and everything else I do on it, it's just great. Premiere Pro is kind of slow when I'm doing my extensive editing. Right. Anyway, I loaded Premiere Pro on it and I just loaded a sample project. And another thing too is all my uh, media is Mac format. It's Mac file system. So I have to figure out a way for the, the Windows PC to read my Mac files. There's something called Mac Drive that's out there that you load on your PC and it can read. If you plug in a Mac Drive into it or Mac Media into it, it can read that. But I didn't get that yet. What I did was I just turned on SMB on my Mac Pro. SMB is the way to share to other Windows machines. So anything that's on your Mac, Windows machines can find it over a network and then mount that drive. And that's then, what I do with my uh, Apple TV is I, uh, I, I have my, my NAS box SMB. Oh, okay. 
You'll have to tell us about that sometime because that sounds pretty interesting. Yeah, it's pretty well. I mean, when I figure it out, I just know it works. <laughs> <laughs> well, unfortunately, on Lion, uh, SMB does not work very well oh. as a server. They changed all the SMB from 10.6 Snow Leopard to Lion. They actually removed something called Samba, which is a open source uh, SMB server, and they replaced it with their own code, and it doesn't work very well. So ever since I upgraded to Lion, uh, nothing that wants to look at my Mac through SMB works very well. Hmm. So I would be able to see my Mac from this new PC, but what I would get errors when I tried to mount it. So I searched on the net, finally found somebody said, oh, well, if you go into the control panel and you turn it off and then you turn it on, it works. In this certain sequence, you have to turn it on and then you have to remove the user, add the user. And anyway, it's this convoluted sequence that takes about a minute and a half to do. But if you do that, then sometimes the Windows PC can see the Mac. But it's not all the time. It's It seems kind of unreliable. It doesn't seem like it's like if you do the sequence, it's always working. But um, I finally got it to work. And, and I, once I got it to work, then I mapped those drives to drive letters on the PC. And it seems like that's reliably working now. But when I was just going through the network browsing on the PC to the Mac, that wasn't working. So Interesting. Yeah, so I was able to load the Premiere Pro project that I was working on, and that was like hell, because <laughs> it couldn't find any of the media. It's like, where's this file? Where's this file? <laughs> where's this file? <laughs> and, uh, you know, and I have like hundreds of files, and they're all the same name, <laughs> because a lot of them are the same name, because the way that AVCHD camcorders work is they record everything starting at 0000. zero, zero, zero. <laughs> right. The file names are 00000.mts. That's always the first file name. Right. So I had, you know, 300 zeros, and, and the stupid thing about Premiere Pro, and this is something they really need to fix, is that they don't tell you the path. They just tell you, I can't find this file, and they give you the file name, but they don't tell you, you know, it's located in this folder or anything. <laughs> so it's literally... It's like literally you're, impossible. You're on, a scavenger, you're on a scavenger hunt looking for a file that says 000.mts. Yes. And it pops up 50 million different places. Yeah. Yeah. So really the only way to link the media is to just load the whole project in without linking. You can just tell it to skip that process. And then you have all these files that aren't linked. And then you go in and then you manually link each one. So you link it, then you browse to the network drive and then you find the file and then you connect it so that worked that that worked to a certain extent but yes. it, but i didn't complete it for the whole project because i ran out of time <laughs> to do something else <laughs> so, so <laughs> i couldn't couldn't quite get the whole project and then oh another thing that happened was uh, there was some quick time files that I created for this project. This is actually the Golden Gate Bridge project because it's a pretty complicated project. And um, mm. the McKinley School Golden Gate Bridge project that I'm working on. So I had actually done a few renders into QuickTime movies. And QuickTime on PC isn't there by default. You actually have to install QuickTime Pro on a PC to read Correct. QuickTime. Right. So some of the files I couldn't even read. And I didn't really know why because I thought Premiere Pro would just read the files. Like it knew about QuickTime, but it doesn't. It actually is using the operating system, I guess, to read the files. So then I had to install uh, QuickTime Pro onto Windows. And then I ran out of time. <laughs> so 
never quite got to the point where I really had the project going. But the files that I did connect and the ones that were actually connected and I was scrubbing through the project, it was like butter. It was like it was like real time, even over the network. Wow. I've got a gigabit Ethernet network. So it actually was not as fast as plugging in a drive directly. I think it tops out at about 70 megabytes per second. Wow. So that's not fast. I mean, uh, my RAID drives can go like two to 300 megabytes per second. Uh, I guess that's true. Yeah. Yeah. But it's fast enough. But still pretty, but it's still pretty fast though. It's not bad. It actually is fast enough to, to probably do most of this media I'm using because it's, mm-hmm. it's fairly compressed files to start with. It's not like raw video. It's, it's AVC HD mostly. I was able to scrub through and when I hit play, it would just immediately play. And when I was scrubbing, there was no lagging or delay. The same thing on my Mac Pro sometimes would take literally a few seconds when I moved the timeline indicator to another point. It would literally take a while to catch up. And then when I hit play, it would take sometimes take a few seconds or not play at all on really complex projects. At least my first initial impression without a lot of scientific testing is it's just way faster. Really? Yeah. Wow. Like, so- like usable, really usable. So as of right now, as of this second, as we speak, it's something that was a successful purchase and and something that will be used for future projects. You know, jury is still out because I still have to complete my testing of it and seeing how much of a pain it is to use it. Right. Because it is a pain. It's a totally different system that I'm only using for one thing. And I'm going to continue to produce a lot of media on my Mac Pro, audio and visual media that I include in my video projects. So having that coordinated with this other kind of an appliance just for editing, you know, importing media and getting that to work uh, seamlessly or smoothly is kind of a pain. I guess that's true. It's kind of like what you just talked about, about like having these different file structures and not being able to get them immediately. If if you can't find out a good workflow on that, then... You, you might just abandon ship on this then, I guess. Yeah, either that or just completely convert over to the PC, <laughs> Windows right, PC, right. which I really don't want to do. I think it's just my unfamiliarity with, with Windows. I do use Windows a lot, and I have over the years. On a Mac, I'm really fluid. I just know how to do stuff really quickly. To me, it seems like the interface is, is better. And maybe that's something you also agree with, because you used Windows for years, and you switched over to Mac, so you might have that. Some- it's just the learning curve. Yeah, uh, you know, I mean, r- really, that's all it is. You know, it's it's like, you know, something as simple as you know, uh, control, you know, C for copy. You know, with with the Mac, you have to do Command C, right? You know, and right. you know, it's little subtleties like that that uh, that can slow you down until you get versed at it. Yeah, and my one question to you and other Windows users is, why is the Windows key there? You know, oh, you know, the little uh, key that's on the you, left. You know, you know why? Because what that does is that that allows you for quick drop down for your menus. If you're up at the bar, which actually saves maybe one millisecond of time <laughs> for what it takes you to actually click the mouse to, to get to file, you know, save as. Oh, but for me, whenever I hit it, yeah. It, it it brings up the little start menu. Well, it depends on where your cursor was last left at. So Oh, okay. You're 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 right. I mean, it kind of defaults to that uh start uh the start uh, menu. And so yeah, it just like menu. blocks us like I accidentally hit it instead of hitting control cuz I'm always looking for command instead of control. Exactly. Right. And, and yeah. I'm, I'm continually hitting it and then I have to clear it out 
and it's and then just, wait wait until the time where you actually say shut down, uh-huh. and then <laughs> and yeah. then you lose everything. Lose everything. So I think I'm going to remove that key from my keyboard. <laughs> Exactly. Or just you know put some duct tape on it. Right, exactly. <laughs> but things like that, uh, things like on my Mac, and I know this is possible on the PC, but on Mac I have my my USB mouse mapped to controls on Premiere Pro, so I can edit really fast. You know, it's a wheeled mouse with a bunch of buttons, and I can do stuff really quickly. And I don't have that on the PC, so I'm just doing it. PC, you can do things like hotkeys and stuff like that. Yeah, and I'm sure there's a way to map mouse movements to function keys and stuff. So I'll to- yeah. I'll have to figure that out. I just ordered a KVM, and I think I just got it today. KVM stands for Keyboard Video Mouse. It's used to share one keyboard and monitor among multiple computers. And I actually used to use them all the time, a long time ago. That's a very old technology, isn't it? It's It's been around forever. It's been around forever. It's changed from back in the day. It was ADB, which was the old Mac version of how, how to control keyboards. And USB didn't exist then. It was the old PC keyboard connectors i don't even know what they're called but they were different they weren't they weren't like usb oh it, it was like the old little nine pin yeah like yeah. the little nine pin serial port yeah thing yeah that was the those are the days and uh, oh yeah so this is a modern one and it actually supports two monitors one up to a 30 inch monitor which i have and then one up to a 24 which i have because i have two monitors going so it actually is a kvm for two monitors and two computers yeah. that's great and so i th- i'm thinking maybe that can help me ease the use of the system so that I can quickly go between them. And then maybe if I can do some kind of um, screen sharing on my either my Mac or PC, like in the Windows machine, I could have a window that shows my Mac and I can control my Mac from there so I don't have to always get out of one system to go to another. I can actually do things on one system and vice versa. There's quite a bit of fiddling <laughs> yeah. required. You, you know, I'm interested to hear in uh, because a lot of times, you know, in video, some of the, the, the biggest time consuming duties are rendering, right? I mean, whether you put in a, a, an effect, I mean, me and my and my iMac, uh, you know, I, I did try um, one of those. Uh, what, what, what's that thing in? um in Premiere, that's a uh, warp stabilization right, plugin. Right. Um, I did. I did try that on a what was literally a thirty-second clip, and I think it took like the better part of like half an hour for it to render. Yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, with with your new machine, what do you think? Would, would it be a little bit faster? Would it be a lot faster? Are you expecting it to be, you know, tremendous? I'm expecting. It to be like five times as fast as my Mac Pro. That's that's. I think it's going to be about five times as fast to do stuff. That could be really great. Yeah. So here's another kind of disadvantage to having a Mac, even though it's great. To have, Macs are great, and it mostly has to do with Premiere Pro for me. Premiere Pro only supports certain, and the the Mac itself only supports certain NVIDIA video cards. You know, there's only a few models of NVIDIA that actually work on the Mac that you you know they they rate the drivers for mostly are their their PC. So because of that, there's a lot of really high-end and not that expensive video cards that actually can accelerate Premiere Pro a lot, a lot more than the ones that work for the Mac. So right now I have one in my Mac, which is pretty much one of the highest ones you can get, highest end ones you can get. It's an NVIDIA Quadro 4000. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's gotten a certain number of cores, and it really it's the amount of memory in the card and the number of cores in the card that allow it to accelerate 
certain functionality. It essentially has its own processor in it. Yeah. The thing about these video cards, they have something called GPUs, and they have multiple cores, many more than uh, you have in your computer. And in some cases, 200, 300, 500 of these little computers going at once. So they can really accelerate certain functionality. On the PC, you can pretty much get any kind of card. And you can get cards that are a really good deal, but still are very powerful. So I also ordered a $400 card. It's a GTX 670. And that card is probably about three times as fast as the card I have in my Mac. Uh, Is it one of those cards that takes up two bays in the back? Two slots, right? Two PCI slots? Well, it's it just plugs into one slot, but it's really, it's double wide. Right. Yeah. So, uh, and I guess you can get another one and gang them together, but I'm not sure if that helps Premiere Pro. I don't think it does. Uh, but I know that they have this this ability called I don't know what it stands for, but it's called SLI, and it's a way of of ganging two two of these cards together. If you're really a hardcore gamer, mm-hmm. which apparently this machine is for, <laughs> so. right, right. Oh, but I have to tell you, I did try to do a render test on it. I didn't tell you about this, Rod, but I was invited to shoot in the Gay Pride Parade. Oh, this weekend. <laughs> Excellent. And uh, yeah, a friend of mine is. Um, affiliated with this film. Actually, it's a film that's out about Uganda and gay rights in Uganda. And uh, so she was asked to do that. She asked me because she knew that I was uh, a shooter. And so I was actually in the gay pride parade shooting, walking down Market Street with everybody waving at me. Well, <laughs> it was actually a really, well, really good experience. Well, well, I won't be asking you what outfit you were wearing, but... Uh, <laughs> But uh, what were you shooting with the uh, the FS? I was shooting with the FS one hundred, and okay. and I was shooting with my my Mondo uh, rig handheld rig, okay. which is like combination shoulder and a body pod rig. So that that worked pretty well for a little bit more steady cam ish feel. Yeah, just just for the fatigue factor because just holding sure. that up and it worked it worked pretty well. I got some pretty good shots. And, and so you took that footage and put it into your new PC with uh, Premiere Pro? Yeah, that was easy because all I had to do was just point to those files. They were out on my Mac hard drives and then just uh, import them into Premiere Pro, which basically just imports the links to them. It doesn't import the actual file and all the data just points to the file and uh, and then put them into a timeline. And then I exported that timeline actually back through the network to my Mac drive where I store all my stuff. And I just, I just wanted to see how, how it would work. I was running it from 1080p footage to 720p footage because I wanted to be able to play it, uh, like upload it to Vimeo or download it to my iPad or something like that. Sure. Anyway, I started it going and... How long was the footage? It was like two and a half hours of footage. Whoa, okay. Yeah. So so you rendered this thing at two and a half hours worth of footage. Yeah. What would, for me, probably take at least 24 hours. Yeah, it might have. I don't know how long it would take. I, I'm going to do the same thing on my Mac Pro. Okay. I think I'm going to copy all the files locally onto the PC, and so it can have a real test, not not this kind of over-the-network thing, because I think that probably slows things down a little bit. Right. But it wasn't a very good test, because cause what happens is you can either have it launch Adobe Media Encoder, which is this companion program that does all kinds of encoding, or you can export it directly from Premiere Pro. The reason to export it through Adobe Media Encoder is that it offloads Premiere Pro and you can use Premiere Pro while Media Encoder is doing the encoding. And it's just more efficient. I think that Media Encoder maybe does a little bit faster. Anyway, Adobe Media Encoder hung when I did that. I'm not sure why. (laughs) And so did it crash? 
it just stopped and then went, came back to my machine a little bit while later. And, and I guess Windows had noticed that it hadn't it had crashed and it said something's wrong with Adobe Media Encoder. Do you want us to report it? <laughs> so I did. I quit it. I guess with Windows Task Manager or something. And then I uh-huh. just decided to export it directly from Premiere Pro. And then I left for a couple hours. And when I came back, my machine was beeping. <laughs> The little dashboard that has all the, the temperature controls. Right. Did, did did it say call the fire department immediately? It was it was like the 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 CPU temperature was kind of towards the red. It was all the way up, <laughs> and it was beeping. And, and there was, wasn't enough water in your water cooled tower. <laughs> and it was there was not enough water in a reservoir to cool that <laughs> thing down. But you know this is a good test because I'm going to be doing this all the time, right? And if if it overheats, it's not good, right? But I did notice when I pressed the dashboard, I, I kind of had noticed this before, but it seemed like two of the fans were not even on. Like their, their RPMs were oh. zero. Uh-huh. And I realized that probably, remember I told you that there were a couple cables unplugged when I opened up my machine, the PC? Uh, I bet those were power cables to the fans. Yeah, they were power mm-hmm. cables. And I plugged them back into connectors that seemed to be the right connectors. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> you know, no- some of them are big, some of them are little. <laughs> yes. Yes, I'm very familiar so, with that. Yeah, so and it had the same pinout. So I said, okay, these look like power. Obviously, they were not power. So I kind of figured that out today. But I let it continue on and eventually finished. So I'm not sure how long it took. So I'm going to do it again with the fans plugged in. But I called the company. And they, they actually have pretty good tech support. Although I pretty much figured it out myself before that they even answered the phone. <laughs> so which, there were two little connectors that said fan on them. That were, right. There was nothing connected to them. So Right. Uh, and, and I would imagine that they probably leave them disconnected just so that, like, you're not scared with, like, the whirlwind of air that's going through that they turn on every one of those fans. Um, it's probably like an air conditioning unit, frankly. It's and uh, yeah, it's pretty scary. But I, I think... Did, was it loud? Was it loud when you turned them all on? Actually not. It's definitely a lot louder than my Mac Pro. The Mac Pro is great. It's it's so quiet. Right. The fan system is, is amazing in it. Definitely makes a lot more noise. But it's not a bad noise. It's kind of just a, an air noise. So that part's sure. okay. Right. But they were on and they could tell they were sucking a lot of air. So that was probably the reason. Those were the intakes. So it wasn't sucking any air in. That's why it was overheating, I think. Even though you have water cooling, you still have multitudes of fans. There's actually not multitudes of fans. There's a couple fans in front mm. and there's two on the side. Those are the ones that are unplugged. And then there's one big one in the back. Oh, okay. And I think the big one in the back is connected to the radiator. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Well, good. Well, you can you can, you can call uh, your local car technician when something goes wrong with it. Well, uh, that that's uh, that that sounds real good. So, I, I guess in some ways, still the the jury is still out. Correct. I mean, you're 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 in the midst of testing, and uh, can I uh, uh, can we revisit this uh, in our next show? And uh, as you get a little bit more experience with this thing. I think I'm going to be continuing to give you progress reports throughout the next month or two. Okay. This is going to work. That sounds great. That sounds great. Good. All right. Well, uh, uh, I think that um, that's a good start. That's a good start on your uh, on your move to PC land after uh, I have moved myself <laughs> from PC land to Mac land. And uh, so... I have to remind... You and everybody else, this is not a, a complete switch over to Windows and the PC, N- not by any means. 
I mean, I, I think I would just give up computing altogether if I had to do that. You know, I've seen the way you do computing and stuff like that. I think for you to make a switch like that would be almost like us moving to the moon to go try and live. It'd be such a shock to you that I don't, I don't think you could do it that easily. Yeah. I don't, I don't think I could do it. I don't think I'd want to do it. I really, unless, unless the Mac becomes completely different, it's possible, but, um, right. But, you know, I really like working with it. I really love the interface and, and yeah, maybe in some cases it's not as fast at least the towers aren't as fast as as the PCs, but you don't always notice that speed difference. Um, most of the cases I don't really notice, but I did notice with Premiere Pro, so that's why I'm trying it out. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Well, that is great. I think that we will continue on with more updates in our next episode and see where Keith is in his move to the PC. <laughs> So thanks, Keith, for that report. We appreciate it. You're welcome, Ron. Yeah. (laughs) Very good. Okay, kids, we'll be right back. You're listening to Tech We have another exciting portion of our show right now, folks, where Keith has developed this really cool little thing that he wants to talk about, and we're going to entitle it The Frankenstein Handheld Rig. And uh, Keith, tell us a little bit about what this thing is all about. So first of all, most of these new cameras that are out are... um they're kind of unergonomic. You mean like the FS100 and stuff? You mean that big box and all this kind of stuff? Yeah. Right. Like the old style camcorders were by necessity big. They just had to be big because they um, they had big tapes in them. You know, sometimes they had, you know, gigantic beta size tapes. That was like the early beta beta cams, right? Right. And also they were trying to emulate the, you know, the 35 millimeter, 16 millimeter film cameras, which had to be kind of big too. So they, they became these shoulder mounts. Right. And it actually worked out pretty well because a uh, shoulder is a pretty stable platform for a camera. Your upper torso just doesn't move that much, even when you're walking. And and then when you're when you are walking, you kind of do this Groucho Marx type walk to keep it smoother. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then the eyepiece, the viewfinder, is offset from the middle of the camera, so it's actually to the left of the camera. Right. So usually people use their right eye, and then they have have it on the shoulder, and and that was kind of the rig for years. I mean, starting in the film days of the 60s and 70s, and then when it went on to video. So most of the video cameras kind of kept that mold, but then the actual need for that large of a camera became less and less. Correct. Uh, Things became more miniaturized. Once they came out with formats like uh, VHS-C and 8mm, and then then the uh, mini-DV and stuff like that. Right. It just kept getting smaller and smaller and smaller, and now you actually have camcorders that can shoot on these the mini or micro sd cards correct have you seen those oh uh, not only that but you're right essentially our cell phones can do the same thing yeah and so as things get smaller in a way they become less ergonomic because you're just holding them with your hands and trying to study them with your hands and you can only hold them with like your index finger and your thumb and that's about it (laughs) yeah and then (laughs) and then sometimes they slip out of your hands and then they're so small, you, you lose them and you can't find them. I like so, it yeah. when it gets to the point where the one button that they can fit on the unit 
has to do everything. So you have to like click once, double click, triple click, whatever it is in order to enact something. I love oh, that kind of design. Uh, uh, yeah, the GoPro is famous for that. Right. Have you used a GoPro? I have not been able to use a GoPro. I, I, I would actually like one because I, I want to maybe get into like some underwater type of stuff. But in some ways, there's so many other cameras that can go underwater that are a little bit maybe more portable than the GoPro. Yeah. So the GoPro is like the like the definition of one button pressing many times. Yes. Bad bad user interface <laughs> it's just and and there's a readout i think it's it's an lcd it's got like two two characters on it so and it has all these codes like e1 because it can't fit full words <laughs> yeah they made they made it so cheap that they can only like put two two letters on it and you had to have some kind of legend you know to right. interpret it all so basically, you just set it. You, you spend like an hour with the manual setting it up before you go out. And then and then all you have to do is press the button and start it and hope it's actually recording. Right. So <laughs> Because there's no indicator whatsoever that it's going. It's just like, it better be recording. I think there is some indicator, but I actually never bought one, but I borrowed them from friends. Oh, okay. A lot of my friends have them. And you know, I was thinking of doing a project with dogs. Right. And so I wanted to see how well the GoPro would work strapped to a dog. Sure. What would the the image would look like? It was actually pretty good. I actually I attached it to a collar. Okay. And I had it uh, hanging underneath the dog's chin, and it was it was really a pretty interesting point of view because you could just see the dog's world. You could see the dog, you know, moving its head, and when it was called, it would look up at you, and then it would look back and you know ignore you, and then you'd call again, and it would look up and then run towards you. It was really interesting, and everything was low. So it it, it wasn't too like herky jerky and and unstabilized and everything. It was actually watchable. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I think it depends on how into it you are, right? <laughs> like like maybe you could watch it for about thirty seconds, and then that's it. Yeah, then you'd have to like vomit. <laughs> <laughs> it's like going strapless in a in a roller coaster or something. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's really funny because different people have different tolerances for that, for for the unsteadiness of video. Right. Right. Exactly. But I think as a population, just overall, we've gotten a lot more used to jerky video. Well, and that's why I thought, and you know, we're digressing a little bit, but I'll just throw this in anyway. Uh, like during our last one of our last conversations. Uh, you actually got some software to stop making your handheld so uh, stabilized. You actually wanted a little handheld feel to it. I did. I did because yeah, to match it because it, it was just it was just too steady. It was too steady. <laughs> it was too boring. <laughs> did you ever see that film Cloverfield? No, I have not. You should check it out. It's kind of a horror movie. Do you know the premise? Uh, of course not. Oh, okay. It's basically a monster eats New York. Okay. I'm writing it down. <laughs> Clover Field. It was done by J.J. Abrams. Oh, I do like him. Yeah, he's really good. And so it was pretty innovative. It was basically like somebody doing a handheld video point of view. Oh, okay. It was a very good technique. It didn't have to be that high production value because the video being taken was pretty low quality and jerky. Right. And you would never really see the monster very often. You would like see its leg and then and then they'd be running and then you'd just 
see the next scene. But that's probably the thing that added to that kind of suspense and stuff like that, right? Was it was good. It was a little bit like Blair Witch. You've heard of Blair Witch, right? right? Of course. It was a lot like that. I think much higher production value, but that was like testing the waters of how jerky you could get because it was really unsteady. I mean, there was no stabilization. They made it really unsteady on purpose. Right. And it was like two hours of it. (laughs) I guess it really depends on how unsteady we're talking. You know, like, you know how a lot of sitcoms nowadays really, really like that kind of handheld feel, almost like they're uh, uh, like reality television type of feel to things. Uh, Yeah. But it's ever so slight where it's not like. You know, when with me and my Parkinson's or anything like that, it's not <laughs> it's not like that, but it's just a little bit, you know, just a little bit of, of, of roughness here just to give it that. I think that realistic looking into the, you know, looking into the window kind of feel. Right. Right. Like like you're there. Yeah. Like yeah. it's not just the set piece that's in a stage. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Which which I think has some really, really it, it, it does give a feel to to a scene. Uh, and you know, which is really neat, but it, I think it's that delicate balance that you have to f- find out is what's going to be good. Right. Like you just can't be jerky all the time. <laughs> right. Exactly. Or people will just give up. Yeah. You know, they can't keep, you know, their subject in frame or whatever it is, you know, that's the thing. It's, it's like if, if it's jerky, but it's composed well, then people will put up with it. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, and if it's jerky, but the sound is good, people will put up with it. But yeah. if everything's just crap. Right. That it's, but I do think that just the prevalence of YouTube, the fact that everybody is just using their um their their cell phones to record. Sure, and it, right, and we've gotten to this level of hey, that's okay. We can we can tolerate that because it's a three minute clip. Yeah, three minutes, and then go on to the next one. Right. So I just think as a population, we've all gotten more tolerant of the jerkiness. Sure. But anyway, getting back to the point of uh, my rig. Right, uh, which was about like 15 minutes ago. <laughs> so thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for coming. No, go. <laughs> Let's talk about that rig. A lot of manufacturers have kind of uh, come up making rigs to help make less ergonomic, less shoulder mount um, camcorders work. Probably most of the people listening know this, but there's a very common standard uh, using 15 millimeter diameter rods. Mm-hmm. And usually they're in pairs and they, they fit underneath the camera. And then there's all kinds of brackets and things that attach to them and it provides support. But it just basically provides these rails to slide things on. Like you can put your camera in between the two rails on a, on a plate and then it just stays there. And then you can slide things in front of it on these rails. Like you can slide a mat box. Right. And the matte boxes, just for the people that may not know, it's basically like a big lens lens shade. Um, usually it's squarish or rectangular to kind of match the format of the camera. Yep, they kind of like barn door lighting type of things. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's a really good way, really effective way to shield reflections. Maybe you're not shooting right into the light, but if the light's hitting the lens, it actually can make reflections. Sure. And uh, it's to help with that. I actually have one with bellows, so I have one that can go out, you know, like a foot and a half. Like if you put a motor on it, could it fly away? <laughs> you could throw it off the cliff and it would just glide to its destination. So yes, big. Exactly. <laughs> it's like a big parachute. The, the, you, you know those rigs uh, uh, that, that we're talking about? I think in some ways, isn't, isn't the premise of it is so that you're not holding the camera with, you know, with your two hands and stuff where, where that can be a little bit jerky, but you're kind of alleviating that 
by putting it on this rod system, on this railing system, and then you're bracing it up against either your shoulder, your chest, and then you have like a couple like almost like bicycle handlebars to 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 hold the camera a little bit more steady than what you would do if you were just hold the the camera all by itself. Exactly. It's to provide more points of contact to your body. Right. So if you were just holding the camera with maybe one or two hands, you're just holding it up and your arms are not that stable. Like the further away they are from your body, they're they're less stable. Right. So it's a way of making more points of contact. A very simple one that is used a lot. It doesn't even require a rig. All it is is just like a Z finder, a Zakuto Z finder, and you just press it up against your eye and you hold the SLR with two hands. And just just pressing it up against your eye, your face, adds another pretty stable point of contact. It's tiring, but it's a lot more stable than uh, just holding it out. I think that's the first thing you introduced me to when you introduced uh, me to this technology of uh, uh, DSLRs uh, was that you had that uh, that Z Finder and uh, on your on your 5D at the time, and uh, right. it was it, it was really really terrific, and and I I think it really did stabilize a lot of uh, a lot of your footage. Yeah, it helped a lot. It also just helped me focus. <laughs> yeah, that's true too. Yeah, it had a dual purpose. Actually, the primary reason is to focus, but then the fact that you could press it up against your eye really added a lot to the stability. But it gets tiring because it's you know a few pounds, and especially if you have other gear on the camera, it can get tiring for your arms. You know, right. you're just holding this weight up the whole time. So uh, some of the rigs actually will, like you said, bicycle handles. There might be something that extends to your chest that kind of push against your chest. Right. That's probably like the simplest one that's out there. It's very right. light. It's not too imposing. It doesn't add too much to the volume of the camera. Right. Then there's another variation where it, it goes over your shoulder and kind of rests on your shoulder. Right. But you still have these handlebars up. The problem with that, actually, though, is that it's still kind of tiring for your arms. Even though you have this additional stability and some weight is resting on your shoulder, the majority of the weight is actually out in front of your shoulder. And it's still pressing down in your arms. It's actually really tiring. Uh, even before I had DSLRs, I, I had a rig like that. And it uh, was really tiring. Yeah, sure. I mean, even after 10 minutes, I just, like, my arms were were burning. Right. So then I got this. It was innovative at the time, but this was a long time ago. Uh, it actually it was that shoulder thing where it went over your shoulder. You you held it with the bicycle handles, but then it had this stick, this kind of a shock absorbing stick mm-hmm. that went down into a belt. Oh, okay, uh, like uh, kind of those, um, uh, like uh, those uh, flag bearers in marching bands. They, they they put those flags in those like cups that that hold on like a holster. Uh, to to alleviate the weight. That's exactly it. it. It actually was almost exactly like that. There was just essentially a little cup on this belt that the stick went into. You must have looked fantastic wearing that. Oh yeah, <laughs> it worked wow. really well actually. What, what what kind of camera were you using at that time to to uh, for 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 that well, during that period? So that was back in the DVX one hundred days. So that was a quite a while back. That was probably two thousand. Three, maybe? Yeah, I think it came out in 2002 or 2003. So the DVX100, the Panasonic, that was like the first 24P DV camcorder. Wow. State-of-the-art uh, at the time. At the time it was, and it really, it kind of started this mini filmmaker's revolution. Because you never had that frame rate before. And a lot of what makes things filmic is that frame rate. Right. So... 
anyway, I used it for that. The actual rig was uh, by this company called DV Rig, and they're still around. I think they're actually based in Israel. Oh, wow. Um, but, but since then, I think everybody has copied them. Right. You can see things that are exactly like the DV Rig, but one-tenth the price now. Sure. Sure. Although I don't think the quality is quite the same. I think the DV rig is still a pretty good quality. I still have that, and and occasionally I use it. Uh, it depends on the situation, but but I've actually I've actually kind of developed my own things that are kind of evolved from the DV rig in a way. I'll just tell you what I evolved to, especially with the DSLRs. There was this this issue of the weight, and the thing was that the DV rig is kind of gigantic. I mean, if you saw this thing, you'd laugh. It's big. Right. It's probably like three feet from end to end. <laughs> it's a gigantic. <laughs> Because it's got this shoulder thing that goes over your shoulder, and you hang batteries off the shoulder thing to give you a counterweight. And if you don't need to hang batteries off, then they give you like this five pound weight <laughs> to hang off the back. <laughs> so at least at least it's not putting all the weight on your arms. And then it's got this pod that's going down to your waist, and these gigantic hand. Gig, I'm talking gigantic handles. They really are like bicycle handles. No kidding. So <laughs> sounds like you need an orthopedist after this. <laughs> It's surprisingly comfortable when you're using it, and it's really steady because the pole is actually a, like a shock absorber with sure. a spring in it. Sure, and it's a little got a little damping, so when you walk, it actually kind of dampens. It's almost like a steady cam. Right. It's actually quite clever. It's just kind of big and imposing, though. You can't use it in in every situation because it's it takes up so much space. I mean, you you become the you know you get this three foot span instead of you know a foot and a half or a foot span. Right. At the time, also, uh, I was doing some shoots where I had to be in very, very close quarters. There was this one film I did that was actually backstage at this musical. And, and it was literally like a foot and a half of space I had to shoot in. Oh, wow. Which would have been great for a handheld camera, but not with this rig on it. Yeah. I, I wasn't able to use that rig. So I could, I could do a handhold, but it would get tiring. So uh, I'd been toying with the idea, and I'd seen some advertisements for this thing called a Tiffin Steady Stick. Okay. And at the time, I'm not sure if it was Tiffin. I think Tiffin may have bought them. It's basically similar to the DV rig, but no shoulder thing. All all it is is really just a a pole that you can extend up and down, uh, and then the end of it you attach your camera to. Just that alleviates all the weight from the camera. It's now at your waist. Sure, which is a lot easier to deal with than your arms and your shoulders. Right. So that became kind of my go-to thing. The problem was that the steady stick by itself, it's a, it's a, actually a very good deal. It's like 80 bucks. So I, I would advise people to get it. But in and itself, the head part of it, the part that the camera attaches to, is, is, is pretty low quality, um, not that versatile. Right. So I actually took that steady stick and I modified it. So I, I actually do some like little machining and stuff on cool. my own. Cool. And just, you know, very simple stuff, nothing precise, but I could do stuff like this. So I modified it. So I added a, a Manfrotto ball head to the top of it instead of the mounting system they had. Excellent. And so then I used that and it's, it's actually pretty cool. These new Manfrotto ball heads are, are very nice. They have a way of just tightening them. So they're just really locked, but then they have this friction knob as well. So you have two knobs, one for locking it and then another to just add friction. So you can keep it unlocked, but then you can increase the friction so that the camera will stay in one spot. But then if you physically move it and overcome the friction, you can move it to another position. So it's actually very, very convenient. It's a a great little head and you can use it like with one hand, you can reposition things. I use it all the time. I've kind of standardized on these heads. They're, they're very innovative and very useful. I would love to have a Manfrotto head. 
I would love that. I, I I think they're fantastic. They're so expensive. Although, you know, relatively, I mean, in the whole tripod gear world, yeah. they're, they're like dirt cheap. Really? You haven't seen my tripods, though. <laughs> my, when, when, when you use rubber bands and chopsticks, that's when, uh, you know, that's, the, that's my kind of tripod that I'm using. I think Manfrotto has a version of that. <laughs> but but you're right. I mean, you you know what? I think the thing about Manfrotto that's pretty good is that they do have a ton of product. So I think they know that, you know, they have their a lot of their high end. They also have some, you know, more affordable things and stuff like that. So they they're really trying to reach a, a you know, the whole crowd. They are. And you know, the thing is, is that they've actually bought a lot of the other tripod makers. Oh, is that right? Really? Yeah. They seem to own the whole tripod industry, but they still call them by different brands. But there's a lot of them that are owned by Manfrotto. Well, wow. Even those super expensive ones. It's, I think they kind of divide it up into, you know, certain specialties. Sure. Anyway, getting back to my rig. So this, this steady stick, this modified steady stick actually worked really well. And it has a, a little bit nicer um, belt clip. It has a more of a positive thing. It's not just like a pull held in by gravity. Right. It actually has a little locking mechanism. So you can't pull it out if you lock it. And that part works really well. So that worked pretty well. It, it had a few uh, disadvantages. One disadvantage is you just can't get low. It adds like a foot and a half to the height. So from your waist to your camera is about a foot, foot and a half. Right. And sometimes that's too high. You know, if you want to focus low on something, you really can't do it. It's always just at your eye height. Right. With cinematography, sometimes adjusting your height from the non-standard kind of eye level, which is the typical camcorder shoulder cam height, to maybe like waist level or somewhere in between, actually can provide a much more professional effect or a different effect, different viewpoint to a scene. Unfortunately, you don't see it that often because it's easier for people to just put stuff on their shoulder. Or have yeah. things at eye level. Yeah. But with the right kind of rigs and viewfinders, you can actually work at a lower level. Um, and I had been thinking about it for a while, but today I tried a different system. I actually didn't use the steady stick today. I used an even weirder thing <laughs> than the steady stick. <laughs> Using something that definitely was not intended for 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 um mobile um camcorders. It's called a Manfrotto Magic Arm. Actually, I'm using it right now. I just uh, did a shoot today for Virgin America Airlines, and I use it all day um, for the first time. I was, I was a little hesitant because I just kind of put it together like a day and a half ago. I thought about it and then said, I'm going to try this. Well, you mean the Magic Arm? You, you put it together, and so you were just pretty much going to go out there and try it on a, uh, on a, on a shoot. On a real shoot, <laughs> a nice. really important shoot. Good, very good. I was a little apprehensive because, like, I'd never tried it before, and I was like, hmm, "What if this really does not work and just like falls apart in the middle?" <laughs> or, or what if it it transfers your heartbeat into the camera lens and is just shaking all over the place? There could have been so many things that went wrong, but at the same time, you you have to kind of test things by trial by fire. Well, and trying them out in the field. In, in, in real life situations. I tested it for about 15 minutes and it seemed like it was, was going to work. And this particular shoot wasn't super long. So, and I also brought my, my regular uh, steady stick with me just in case it just totally bombed. <laughs> I could go back to the steady stick. That's good. But I didn't have to. Um, and actually it was really cool because first of all, the magic arm is an amazing little piece of gear and it's not that expensive. It's like 80 bucks, 90 bucks for the cheap one, um, which is the one I'm using. So what it is, is it's got two arms with a uh, kind of a hinge in the middle. So imagine uh, like an eight inch 
arm that's about a one inch diameter pipe and then it leads to a hinge and then another one inch by eight inch arm is coming out. I I think I'm looking at a picture of it online right now and um, it kind of looks like an L-shaped thing with like a with, with like a camera uh, uh, mount at the top. Yeah, one end ha- is for a camera and then the other end is for wherever you're mounting it to. Right. The bottom end you can mount to um, a Mayford clip or uh, other types of uh, stud. There's a kind of a standard a stud that's used in the the bottom part has that stud in it. So you can put that into a bunch of different kinds of gear, uh, clamps and things. There's two kinds of magic arms that Manfrotto uh, offers. Uh, one is the one with this lever where it's like it's all kind of loose and floppy. And the thing about the magic arm is you can position it in any position you want. It's like totally infinitely variable. It's not like it's on a hinge and you can only you know go one way. And it's even better than a ball joint. A ball head has limits to it. But this one, it has no limits. Once you get it into the right spot and then you tighten it up, it stays there. It's actually really versatile uh, for all kinds of things. Like I use it in car mounts. Uh, sometimes when I'm doing stuff through uh, windshields inside of a car, I use a suction cup mount and then I'll put the camera on the end of this and then I can just position the camera any way I want. Yeah, this thing looks perfect for that. Uh, so there's two kinds. One has this lever and, the, and, and then the other one has this knob. The lever one's okay, but I find that I like the knob one better. The knob one I feel is more secure and it's a little bit easier to position because the knob one, you can tighten it, and it, but if you don't tighten it all the way, then it, there's a little bit of friction, but you can still move it. So you can tighten it a little bit, and then it becomes a little bit harder to, to move it in position. Then when you're really certain that you want it to that position, then you tighten it all the way. So I, I use this instead of the steady stick. Nice. It allowed me to get low. All I had to do is loosen it up, lower the whole thing. It all kind of bent down along with the camera. I have the Z Finder EVF by by Zacuto. Right. There's a, a very nice mount that they make for that too. And it has this way of you could you can actually rotate it upward. So it's not just straight into your eye, but you can actually look down on it. You can you can rotate it so that you're looking down instead of straight. You you can flip up that eyepiece, right? You can flip up that eyepiece. I have another Zacuto product that this EVF is mounted to, and it's actually like a very nice uh, EVF mount. Oh, okay. And it allows me to, without actually having to unlock something, you know, and 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 lock it again. It actually has a certain pretty pretty hard friction, but if you if you push it enough, you can actually just move it into a different position. So I can move it from an eye level where it's if the camera's high, it's at my eye, or if the camera's below, you know, like waist level, then I can angle it upward. So I'm looking down, kind of like an old. Uh, you know, view camera, you know, like the old medium format cameras where you'd look down into them. Right. Waist level viewfinders they're called. So for some shots, I was able to just quickly lower the whole thing down to waist level even because this magic arm can go into any position that you want, any height. And then and then tilt up the viewfinder so that I was looking down on it. And then I was able to get that shot, but still have the support of it being supported by my waist. Yeah, because it looks as if that the knob that you were talking about, the one that joins the the two arms together, you could you could flip that up, you could flip it down, whatever it is, whatever angle you you possibly could need. Exactly. It's infinitely variable. That's why they call it the magic arm, I guess. Right. It was shorter than the infinitely variable arm or something. You, you know what? Uh let let me give the model number. I think what we're talking about is the Manfrotto 244 variable friction magic arm with camera bracket. Does that sound about correct to you? Yes. That's so it's the that's Man- one of them. Yeah, Manfrotto 244. You can look that up on the internet and take a look at what we're talking about. Uh because it's pretty nifty. 
It looks pretty neat. It's pretty neat. It's it's actually a, a wonderful little device. Everybody should have one. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to put a link on our site so you can click on it and buy one through our site. Okay. That we'll, sounds... get fi- we'll get five cents. Good. <laughs> I, I'm surprised actually that much. Anyway, uh, th- th- that, that so when you were able to use it low, uh, w- was that just night and day from the steady stick that you were using before? It's like now you, I, I, I mean, I hate to say this for the steady stick folks, you might not go back to that and you would use this magic arm instead. Um, I think the steady stick still has its use. I think if you're in a very limited space budget, having this magic arm, I think it does create a little bit more space in front of your camera because when you bend it down, you're bending that, that hinge part forward and it's sticking out in front of you. Right. So if you have a limited amount of space in front of you for some reason, it might not be as effective as the steady stick um, in that situation. If you're using kind of a big camcorder though, then the, the whole camcorder is going to be sticking out that far anyway. And so you probably will be using that space in front of you anyway. So, uh, but if you're using like a small DSLR that's not that deep, that's not sticking out that far, then then this will definitely add some some volume to the front of your presence when you're filming stuff. And that's actually important. Depends on, on what you're filming. But sometimes when you're too big and you have too too much stuff on you, it can be too imposing and and not not appropriate for the environment. So I think the steady stick still has some use, but for me, I'm probably gonna try to perfect this um, magic arm. It wasn't perfect, you know. I think it needs a little bit of improvement. The the magic arm that I have actually has the RC2 receptacle on it. I've standardized all my equipment on this Manfrotto. RC2 plates, which are these kind of squarish plates that just kind of snap in. Right. I used to use Manfrotto sliding plates. They have a larger version that's that's usually used for camcorders, bigger camcorders. And it, they're great. They're very solid, and you can slide and balance that way. But they're also a little bit slower to use to get stuff on and off. And also all the receptacles and all the gear is a lot bigger and more expensive. So I've decided to standardize on these RC2s, and I I don't really notice that it's really that much of a difference in stability or or strength. The magic arm that I have is the RC2 model. It has an RC2 head on it. Then I could just snap my camera onto it, but I didn't have enough control over the aiming once I'd tightened down the knob. So once the magic arm was tightened, I couldn't really aim the camera by moving the camera around. I would have to move my body around to aim it. Oh, uh-huh. Uh, so it, re- it, it does kind of lock you down a little bit. Right. So what I'm going to do, I actually put an order in for the version that didn't have the RC2 plate on it. But in the meantime, it's going to take a while for me to get it. It seems like they're just sold out everywhere of this particular, the the model without the plate on it. Um, But in the meantime, I can just uh, take the plate off the one I have. And then I'm going to put that ball head, that Manfrotto ball head that I was talking about. Right. I'm going to put that one, that ball head on the top of this. So I still have that RC2 receptacle, but now I have that kind of variable friction head on it so that I can aim better. Once I've locked the magic arm down, I can still use the ball head lock to further adjust uh, where I'm aiming the camera. So that's what I'm going to do next. Sounds great. Yeah, and I'll probably use that on the next important gig to test that out. <laughs> probably fall apart. <laughs> make, make, make sure you forget to tighten the camera to the plate, and so that way it'll just be a complete disaster when you're shooting. You know, it's it's actually really easy to to create a disaster while you're filming. <laughs> I actually almost had a disaster today. I was 
So I was like running around, moving around, backing up. A lot of it's just backing up. You don't know where you're going. Right. So I was backing up and I actually knocked over a uh, Virgin Amer- America sign. <laughs> it's plop. Bent it. And, All the- and almost fell over yourself and damaged the camera. No, luckily, I it was actually a very lightweight sign. Oh, that's and good. And so it just... You know, I hardly knew, even knew what happened, but uh, all the Virgin America people were like, "Oh, oh!" <laughs> but they actually were very helpful, and it wasn't a big deal. <laughs> oh, that's great. But it's just, that's just like that's like the nightmare, though, is that you're in this important gig and you just you just totally blow it. You know, <laughs> you just ruin everything. <laughs> well, well and, and and you know, not only that, but what what if you get that one great shot? that you've been waiting for and it's ruined by something. I know, like a camera malfunction. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Which happens. Oh, of course. Of or course. or even like a data corruption on your on your SD card. Right. Like that. Right. It does happen. Well, congratulations. Very good. So uh you know, maybe we should put up links for not only the Manfrotto uh 244 uh magic arm. But maybe we should also put a link to the uh, steady stick as well, so they can, so our fine folks who are listening to us can uh, look at both items and make a decision for themselves uh, what they want to get themselves into. I think so. And then also, um, we should put a link in for for the uh, the item that needs no decision, which is <laughs> it's a great item. It's the Manfrotto four ninety four mini ball head with rc2 qr plate i will uh i will be looking at that myself uh for sure and uh yeah and and put that on my christmas list uh as a want so i will it's look only like that. six it's actually 60 bucks it's not that expensive okay well uh <laughs> 60 bucks holy it's like, mackerel it's like more expensive than all your support gear put together uh, wait wait till i tell you my story once we're done with this one i'll tell you my story in just a minute we'll see where my 60 bucks goes to okay a- anyway so that is the manfrotto 244 that is the uh the steady stick that is keith moreau on his uh shooting day with virgin america and uh all this great stuff Thanks a lot, Keith. You're welcome, Ron. <laughs> well, that's going to do it for us here on Tech Move for Episode 4. Thank you so much for joining us. But before we go... Want to give out a few shout outs to some people who have liked us on Facebook. I want to say what's up to Vilo. I want to say what's up to Brian. I want to say hey to Daphne. I want to say hi to Anna. I want to say hi to David, Jerry, all these fine folks. Thanks so much for liking us on Facebook. We really appreciate it. Keith, let us know where they can find us and tell all their friends where they can find us. Well, if you go to techmovepodcast.com, that's got links to all the other places on the internet you can find us. If you're into Twitter, we're at techmovepodcast. Um, you can do a search on that. We have quite a few followers now on on uh, Twitter, and we also send out uh, tweets uh, on occasion when exciting things are happening. I just also wanted to let you know that Tech Move is now on Stitcher. Ooh. 
Stitcher is a really interesting internet radio um, network. And we're really honored to be a part of that. Uh, you can listen to us on pretty much any device, your computer, your iPhone, your Android device, tablets, pretty much anywhere. It's a great service, and we're actually on that service right now. So listen to us on Stitcher Internet Radio. We also uh, have a Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash techmovepodcast. And remember, the most important thing is to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. That's right. Subscribe to us there. Keep looking out because a new episode is right around the corner. So thank you very much, Keith, for another great episode here. Thank you very much, Rod. Folks, thank you again for listening to us. Wake the kids, tell the neighbors, and let them know that Tech Move is in the house. We'll see you later. 